This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Well, hello and welcome to the View from the Cop podcast on the Blood Red channel. I am your host, Paul Wheelock, and I'm delighted to be joined by two incredibly happy Anfield season ticket holders after watching Liverpool win European Cup number six in Madrid last weekend. It's Dan Kay. Hello. And it's Paul Philbin. Hello. We'll be talking about the Champions League final itself, the incredible scenes off the pitch before and after the game, what next for Jurgen Klopp and this remarkable group of footballers and a bit of fun at the end with Dan and Philbo handing out some end of season awards. But we'll start with the question, lads, nearly a week on. Have you had the chance just to let it all sink in, yeah? No. I, I think I think little by little at various different points. I mean, coming back to real, I, I didn't get back into England till two o'clock Tuesday morning. So I think it's only when you start to go about your general routines and rhythms of your everyday life that it's you, you know that you start to realize wow things have changed we have won the european cup again it i think we're all still aglow and a buzz from it i've got an enormous pile of newspapers to get through <laughs> thanks to my good friend joe thomas um loads to watch loads to listen to and a, and a summer to luxuriate in one of the utter highlights of you know a 35 year career supporting this great team of ours yeah, I, it, it hasn't sunk in for me yet either, and I actually don't think it will until first day of next season, whether it's home or away, and we're singing we are the champions, champions of Europe. I, there's been moments where I'm still thinking oh, that that didn't happen. There, <laughs> <laughs> even the smallest things like I've just been looking there on the on the internet and the five in at Melwood's now a six yeah, and stuff like yeah. that, and it's crazy, like. <laughs> I thought by now I'm back into work. I'm in my fourth day back in work. I've spoke to people who I want to speak to. All that I've done, all that thought I'd be normal now. I, I still can't believe it. It's mad. I, I don't think it's going to sink in for a while. I thought it would have. Now it might in this podcast somehow. I don't know, but <laughs> it hasn't. It hasn't clicked just yet. Is it comparable to 2005 in any way? Because that one. Incredible, one of the greatest matches of all time in mm. football history. But it wasn't expected that run, given what happened last season and given what an unbelievable season in the Premier League. There was almost like Liverpool are the real deal here. We shouldn't be surprised. But so is it a different kind of feeling to back then? It, it is. I would say it is quite conspicuously different because I think I'm right in saying, Paul, you you weren't in Istanbul. No, you you were in school, school, weren't you? Focusing on education. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, obviously it's. There's a there's a parallel in terms of like the the incredible sense of achievement and emotion and pride and that the team that you follow is is at the pinnacle of the European game, but um, like you say, it it was very much a bolt from the blue in 2005 and fantastic though it was, there was a kind of slightly surreal element to it. How how has this actually happened? Whereas now, this should have happened. It's absolutely right that this happened. It would have been beyond devastating if it hadn't have happened. And the way I kind of have been kind of you're still trying to kind of adjust to it in my mind and kind of you know distill my thoughts into some kind of coherence viewpoint on it. But I think a lot of it comes back to the fact that I've, I think I've made this point at various points in, in different pods and conversations with mates throughout the season. One of the great joys of this of 2018-2019 for me was that it was a continuation of the season before and really what Klopp has been building for for the last three and a half years. I mean, of course, Istanbul was Benitez's first season. Yeah, you literally came in that summer. And why I think the the depth of feeling and emotion and, and relief 
is is so pronounced. I think I think certainly for me and a lot of others, is the fact that um, you know it's almost like third time lucky. The run to the final last year, the phenomenal ninety seven point league season that you know in in one hundred and sixteen out of one hundred and nineteen previous seasons would have brought the title home, and then obviously another you know, great run in Europe all the way to the final. It had to. It had to lead to something. I've read a couple of great pieces in the, in the fraction stuff I have read through the week. That and one of the great pieces by Ken Early in the Irish Times, mm-hmm. who made the point that you know whatever happened in that ninety minutes last Saturday night, it shouldn't alter the fact of the the development, the progress, the work that Klopp and his players and us as a fan base have put in over the last two years to get where we are. And and it, it's unfair really for that to be defined on the basis of one ninety minutes game in Madrid last Saturday but the reality is the cruel harsh world that we live in I've been saying all season oh trophies can't be the sole barometer of success but that's the world we live in and you know I I don't know how we would have sold it to ourselves how Klopp would have sold it to the players going forward if somehow things had have gone awry and we'd have been looking at you know a a fourth season under him with that kind of nagging voice in the back for our own sense of self-worth as much as anything else never mind the naysayers outside going oh he hasn't won anything yet there had to be something tangible to show for it. And there is. Do you think, Paul, I, I, I looked at the game and I think you, you're spot on, Dan. It's a continuation from last season. But I thought the kind of 90 minutes, you know, it'd been a three-week break since the last game. It was stiflingly hot over there by all accounts. Mm. I thought this was a classic example of how Liverpool have matured under Jurgen Klopp. Yeah. They've got more streetwise. They realise that didn't, didn't play well. Doesn't matter. Who cares? It's, it's a final of the Champions League. The results, that's all important. But they managed that game well. Tottenham did play well towards the end. Alisson had saves to make. But is this is that the difference maybe between this season and those close, nearly run things before? That's it. Like, it's a bit pointless asking me about the actual game because was <laughs> <laughs> it was all a blur. And I've tried to watch it back and like I've watched... 90 minutes in about 25 minutes, 30 minutes. Well, from what I can remember, yeah. Like, you look back at Kiev, and for part of it, we were the best side, but it's, this Liverpool team this year, it's been about just winning games. There's been times where it's not been frustrating, but, like, hell, things aren't clicking here, but they actually are without you realising it long-term. Like, I remember Huddersfield away in September, October time, beat them 1-0, and it felt like we were awful that day. But we actually went, we just controlled the game how we needed to do it from the first minute to the 90th. And that's how it felt from in Madrid on Saturday. Like, we were speaking to each other, I think it was yesterday. And I think it was you who spoke, spoke to me about it, actually. Um, we scored in the first minute and both teams planned to go out the window. Mm. Oh, yeah. That's Huge that, impact on the game that early goal it, had. Nobody, nobody goes into the European Cup final goals. We're going to concede after a minute and 20 seconds or whatever it was so yeah I, the changes were spot on and what Dan said in the previous podcast about Milner being the first substitution yeah <laughs> it was perfect the time I think was, he was actually second only by a few it? minutes yeah I think Origi came on a couple of minutes before him for Firmino but he's I think Origi for Firmino was 55 and then Milner for Juan Alden was like no, certainly nice he got the sub spot on yeah. Firmino yeah. was blowing away and he, yeah, he wasn't yeah. sharp sharpness went there but yeah Liverpool just know how to, and now the team in Europe, they know how to do things. Like, it's been mentioned all season. That last year was momentum, this year was just the know-how of getting over the line. And we did that. All comes from Jurgen Klopp, but I've, I've 
probably after on the last podcast we said could it be Firmino's final but as you rightly said it, it just wasn't quite there mm. understandably Kane was in the same boat for Tottenham uh, Salah you know we got his goal bit of redemption massive redemption I should say for him after what happened in Kev but the goalie you know you'd expect him to make those saves and he made them but that's it's crucial, isn't it? And he's been crucial in the big moments this season, particularly in the Champions League. He, yeah. He's stood up. I think the difference is, I mean, obviously, it's very, a very easy parallel to draw. Obviously, Karius last yeah. year, Alisson this year. Like you say, you know, there wasn't a wow save that kind of like, Jesus, he's pulled the worldie out there. But the calm and the authority that he that he's given us all season. But it was... I think there was one game towards the end of the season when he was like a cat in a hot tin roof. And I've got a feeling it might have been Tottenham at home, ironically. It, we, we, uh, we didn't yeah. lose. I, I don't think he cost us any, but I just remember you know, he, he was looked nervy yeah, through the game. Yeah. And everyone said afterwards, was, yeah. seemed no, no rhyme or reason for it. But that was very much the exception rather than the rule. He has, you know, the that spine of him and Van Dijk, whatever, whatever it was, 150 odd million, the pair of them, add a north onto that. Mm-hmm. You know, because what the assuredness that, that that has spread throughout the rest of the team, I think is phenomenal. And I think, you know, just to go back to the previous point about how, the impact that the early goal had on the game, um, you know, another kind of, you know, another kind of dynamic to this particular fixture, was it two, two teams, Liverpool and Tottenham, that have been, without question, two of the best teams in the league. I'm, you know, certainly one and a half of the best teams in Europe for the last couple of seasons. But for both of them, there was both this perception, certainly from outside each club, that good though they are, they never get it over the line. They're the perpetual bridesmaids. They always seem to find a way to fall short when it comes to actually delivering silverware. And obviously that was going to end for one of, for one of us on Saturday night. It had to, whether, yeah, even if it goes to the nil penalties. And so obviously that early goal massively cranked up that kind of pressure on both sides because all of a sudden for us, it was like, well, wow, mm. we've got our noses in front before we've even, most of the players on the field have even had a kick of the ball. For Tottenham, there's the element of, of oh, here we go again. And so I think a combination of that, the three and a half week break and the 33, 32, 33 degree temperatures definitely had an impact in making it. A, it was a dog of a game, wasn't it? Do you know what I mean? But, you know, a few people have said, and I 100% agree, the rest of the football watching public have had more than enough entertainment out of the Cup <laughs> finals in the last 10 to 15 years. If they had to sit through a ball and one for us to get over the line, I'm more than happy to go for that. And the, the fir- they always say the first one is the toughest. You know what I mean? Getting over that line by hook or by crook was... It, that was all that mattered, and I'm not saying every cup final we'll, get, we'll go into in, in future will be a walk in the park, but I just can't. I mean, I just can't see it being as physically and mentally excruciating. I was pleased James Pierce used the word excruciating a number of times mm. in his reports and podcasts because that was that was the word that was in my mind, and it, it was it was torturous at times during that second half. The only game I could compare it to was the was the the semi final against Chelsea in 2005 when it like. It was like we were far more under the cosh in that game, but it just felt like physical, physically painful to watch it at times because <laughs> the, the thought of what we had to lose was so tangible in front of us. But by that same token, you know, if you swap the final whistle in the in the 05 game to that moment, Origi's ball hit the net, that sense of release and relief and emotion is unparalleled in the time that I've been following Liverpool. Like. Yeah, I just want to go back to Alisson, by the way. Um, I've absolutely fell in love with the man. <laughs> he's higher than Van Dijk for me now. Really? Honestly, On that I, I wow. absolutely love him. I think he's boss. I, I remember the start of the season, like, 
people like, oh, he's going to give a few fellas heart attacks here with the way he, like he goes about things, and he's just been unbelievable from the first minute he come into the into the team, and watching him in the parade, like he's been here a year and he's in bits. Like, he's just unbelievable. And One moment he's in bits, another moment he's given it absolute <laughs> beans, absolute business as well, which is the right kind of combination, yeah, isn't it? Exactly. I think how he was, was how every fan yeah. around the world was. Like, having a bevy, <laughs> crying, laughing, dancing. Absorbing, taking it all in, really fully appreciating the moment and not taking it for granted. I think even though he's cost 65 million, if you actually look into his backstory... He had his season at Roma. The season before that, he'd been on the bench and he only played in the Europa League. And then mm. previously, that was Brazil. Big clubs, but in many respects, like so many of these Liverpool players, there's this incredible rise, isn't there? You yeah. know, your Robinsons, your Trents, you know, Matip in the second half of the season. is another one who probably is not taking this for granted. No, and I, th- I think that's where, you know, the club and the, the politically the, the recruitment people in the club deserve enormous credit because it's not just, obviously, they've, they've found players who have the technical ability to make us better, but they've got the right kind of psychological makeup and that right kind of hunger that they've, you know, they're not absolute kids with no experience. They've got some experience of playing at you know, a decent level, international level, but they've got that hunger, that desire, that motivation to win and be successful. And because you, know, you look at the, you look at the ages of some of them, you know, I can't see any of them thinking, oh, well, I've got a European Cup winner's medal now, feet up, cigar till they retire. You know, they all seem to have the the kind of mentality that they want more, and that you know that we've always said that's one of the the real la- uh, hallmarks of successful teams. You know, you know, look at the United team of, of under Ferguson when they've all won five, six, seven leagues, but they all want more, mm. and that that's the kind of attitude that you want, and that's the that that our lot seems to have in spades. You talk about motivation. You've got. Mr. Motorator himself, Klopp, but he's proven again this season he's much more than the caricature that people maybe painted him as before he came to Liverpool, that heavy metal style at, at Dortmund. Just as, as supporters, you two guys, like, how would you describe what he's done for, for this club in, in, in four years? You know, it's like three and a half. Three and a half, yeah. sorry, yeah. it's October, makes yeah. it four, yeah. It's cliche, isn't it? But the doubters, the believers thing just comes to mind. Like, he's changed the mentality of the players and the fans. Like, I remember going to games. Under Rodgers, and it's like, I can't, I can't, off the top of my head, I can't think of any, but at home, we'd be playing in the middle, mid, mid table side, and we'd be like, I don't fancy this today. Whereas now, no matter who you're playing, you're going into that game, we're going to win today, and nobody will stop us, kind of thing. And the atmosphere, everything around the club has improved. There's a togetherness that there's no other club like it in world football right now. The closeness, like you saw at the end of the game on Saturday. Sorry, after Barcelona and even the Wolves game, like everyone would have been gutted, but the pride, the togetherness was all there to see. It's, it's going to be a sad day when he leaves, isn't it? I don't even want to think about it. <laughs> to be honest, I mean, hopefully that that's a long way off. There's been talk in the media this week about yeah. a new deal for him. I think he's basically already contracted up to what would be the end of his seven-year seven, cycle. Yeah. Obviously, he, he's yeah. he's done. You know, seven years at Dortmund, seven years at Mainz before that. Um, I, you know, I don't think at the moment there's any need to, to look that too far into the future. I mean, I, you know, I'd agree with everything Paul said there in terms of how he's really drawn together, you know, that holy trinity of, of, of manager, team and players that, you know, in the first start of it was the much mocked celebration after that later equalising against West Brom. Um, and, you know, the fact that they were you know, lined up together doing almost the same celebration in front of our end on Saturday night, there's a lovely parallel there. Um 
I think I think you know, th- th- there's a great sense of responsibility. I think in in terms of the players feel it, the the manager feels it, the team feels it. That we're all responsible for each other. You know, when the team's low, we as fans need to pick them up, and vice versa. I think that's why you know. I, I mean, every time I think of when Origi's goal hits the net. And Van Dyke just hits the deck. He just collapses. That's what I do. Just That's... with just with like the sheer emotional relief and release of it. And you know, when it's written all over his face, you know, two, three minutes later when the whistle goes, you know, there was there was a lot of genuine real emotion that on the pitch and and, and that's not because they're getting a big bonus or it, no, that's because no. of what we've all put into this. And what and I think a, lot, a part of it was fear as well. The, the, the fear of ending up having put so much in for the last two two and a bit, you know, really the, the two seasons to have ended up with it empty-handed would have just been utterly devastating for, for, for all of us. And that kind of unity of purpose, I think, is really what football clubs were set up to do, you know, in the Victorian era, to, you know, to, to bring communities together. And oh, it's a business now, you talk about multi-million pound tickets and players and, and this, that and the other. But um, I th- the, the final thing I, I'd want to add into that in, in terms of what, why I, for me, I'll be forever grateful for, for, for Jurgen Klopp for what he's done, for kind of helping me fall back in, in love with not just my club, but the game, in spite of numerous reasons why I shouldn't be. You know, I mean, what happened in Baku and to a lesser extent Madrid mm. from a UEFA corporate sense was still despicable and disgusting. Tony Evans wrote a piece online somewhere describing it as a festival of, av- a festival of avarice, which I thought was a fantastic expression of summing up just how UEFA see these events, which obviously is diametric opposite to how we see it. But that's my long-winded way of getting around to saying it's the enjoyment that the players get, that we get. And I think it, it's, you know, it's, it's a great marketing tool because any other players must be looking at our club and thinking, these aren't just successful. They're having a ball doing it. Why wouldn't I want to play for them? Yeah, spot on. What Dan's just said about Van Dyke there, where he collapsed to the floor, I, I think that's what I did. <laughs> it was weird because for the whole second half, there was a lad stood next to me. He was sound. And he was just bouncing. He was on edge. And I was going, lad, you're doing my head in, stop it. <laughs> but I was doing the exact same, and he was going to me, you're doing my head in as well, it's dead funny. But when that league goal went in, and I watched it back, Van Dyke collapses, I didn't even celebrate it. I, I just held on to my mate and started crying. Yeah. Like, straight away. And I wish I could go back to that moment and celebrate it, because I think it took me about 20, 30 seconds to start enjoying it, because mm. I just collapsed. It was just mad chaos. That sealed European Cup number six. And I don't think I'm being presumptive to say that this could usher in an era if, if, if not of trophies, but certainly prolonged push push for them. And you mentioned Klopp's contract there. And again, there's time left on it. You know, there is that seven-year thing where it's like, not a seven-year itch, but it's, mm. you know, he, he has in the past. But he must look at, at what he's got here, and particularly the scenes back on Liverpool on, on Sunday for the parade and... And, and, and just think, like, am I ever going to get it better than this? And I know he had it good at Dortmund, but this, mm. it, it, when you've got something as good as this, why could you ever see it ever breaking up? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think we, you know, right now we'd all like him to be our manager <laughs> for the rest of the time. I do remember, you know, maybe kind of like when he first came in, and obviously there's a few documentaries and articles written about who he is and profiling, where obviously we're all thirsty for knowledge to find out who he is and what he does and what he's all about. And I think I do remember in live from kind of saying something like, you know, there comes a time for any football manager when you message, you can't keep saying the same thing to players. Your message gradually has less of an impact on the, on the players that you've gone, the, the players that you've got and what, you, you know, what you're asking them to do. 
I think what makes me feel more secure about that day, whatever it does come, is the fact that the club itself mm. is, in, is in so much of a better place than, than where it was. It, it, on Paul's initiative, actually, it was a great spot yesterday afternoon. Um, I mean, neither has got, neither, we both missed the homecoming. You know, yeah, yeah. Paul yeah. himself wasn't back till Monday, me early Tuesday. But obviously, we see the pictures and, and the videos and whatever. And one of the, from the look of it, one of the wildest ones was in uh, Central Station on Saturday night around that Live Bird statue. And Paul spotted that Dan Nicholson, one of the, yeah. the main boss lad, He's boss night organizers. Well, yeah. yeah, well, we actually flagged up basically <laughs> saying the, the latest Echo podcast <laughs> yeah. mentions yeah. the it celebration in. Uh, Central Station, but what a lot of people will probably don't realise was that that um, podcast was well, sorry that that statue in the Liverpool statue in Central Station was put up in memory of Paul Rice, who was a, a big, well-known business leader within the city, but was also the vice president, one of the original founders of Spirit of Shankly, and was played a really key role in helping mobilise support against you know the the damaging ownership of Hicks and Gillette round about you know ten years ago when things really started to kind of circle the drain. And, you know, people should remember the input he had. He would have been made up to see what had happened. But, you know, and, and it was, it was, it was a, great, a great message. And, you know, and, and we've turned that around into a story and it, it seems yeah. to have been quite well received online, and, and which, is, which, which is heartwarming. But, but I guess the point is that, you know, back then, 10 years ago, and it was round about the time when I was kind of news reporting and, you know, I was sent down to cover those court cases. And there's a no getting away from it. Liverpool was on the brink of bankruptcy. Mm. You know, from bits and bobs that we heard, if... A, a huge factor in the way that things were able to kind of proceed the way we were and found we were able to do the takeover in the way that they did it was the fact that Royal Bank of Scotland basically did not want to be associated with a global brand like Liverpool going bust. And if we'd been another club with maybe less of a profile, less of a global reach, might not have been the case. So you think of where we are, where we were then and where we are now, and we just feel better, co- better equipped to handle the vagaries of of change which is an inevitable part of life and business and will happen you know Klopp you know, won't manage us forever uh, he'll want to retire at some point chatting to people through the week that were kind of you know talks about him and you know where he would what he would do how long would he stay I could never see him going to Bayern Munich no it doesn't seem ha- like having managed Dortmund and the way particularly the way Dortmund like fist, was treated yeah, yeah with Gertz around about the time of that Champions League final well, stuff yeah. You kind of think, you know, if you know, please God he wins us a title, he's already won one European Cup. Hopefully, he might win another one or two. The only thing left for him really to do would maybe manage Germany and try and win the World Cup with them. Um, but you know, I don't think he's going anywhere anytime soon. And I think for now, I think we just need to look forward to next season. Fixtures out on Thursday. Can't wait. Yep. Probably go on to that. Yeah, it's like one season's finished. <laughs> Seconds just round the corner. Uh, before I ask you uh, what you want to happen next, I just want to say if anyone's not listened to that Blood Red podcast with Joe Thomas and Keith O'Neill, oh, really recommend one it. One of the best we've ever done. Taylor Two Cities, absolutely, absolutely joy. brilliant. Uh, throughout this last week, I've cried. I don't know how many times I've <laughs> cried. I'm, I'm not ashamed to say it, but me neither. Joe, when I was listening to that, Joe's not a Liverpool fan. He's a Shrewsbury fan, yeah. and the passion he spoke, yeah. he was talking about it all. Set me off like I was in bits listening to him and his piece that he wrote about the inside story of like the I'm weekend. Going now, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I need to stop. Yeah, crack on. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. If he ever wants a job on the sports desk, <laughs> but it, it, you know, it should be said he's a football fan, Joe. Yes. You know, he's a dedicated yeah. Shrewsbury Town fan, but also as well, you know, he, he spent a fair bit of time in the city. Now he's reported on some matters that have enormous importance to the city. We'll just leave it at that. I think people probably know what I'm talking about yeah. there. But I, you know, I think you'd have to be a, a bit dead inside not to be, you know, not to be moved by what went on 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 Sunday. You know, 
I'm old enough, thankfully, to have been part of a few homecoming parades in the past, which kind of obviously cushioned the blow of not being there myself on Sunday, even though we were watching it back in Lanzarote with cocktails on the beach on on YouTube. <laughs> God bless modern technology, so we were kind of there, even while not being not being there. But that, you know, like I said before, that football is about enjoyment. Football is about community, and I don't, you know, I don't know if there's, that's ever been better um, demonstrated by what we by what we saw on. Sunday afternoon, you know, from the sounds of it, the scenes on Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening in the city also, and down the under few weeks build up, and now you, I mean, you know, five days, six days on, every you know, everyone's still got that glint in their eye. Loads of the flags and banners are still up, and hopefully will be for some time. And you know, at one point maybe on Monday afternoon we're getting ready to travel home, and one of the guys was saying, "Oh, well, it's over now, really." And, you know, what I mean, <laughs> had the match, had the homecoming, and I said, "Is it?" <laughs> over is it? It's not over by a long short, mate. Uh, yeah, when when you've, you've been through the bad times like what we have, I think you've got to make sure you really enjoy the good times to the to the full extent. Because you know, as Ronnie Moran said, it, it was his old famous thing, wasn't it? You know, he, he dumped the medals down on the table, say take one if you think you've deserved one. But you get but you start at, you start at zero back in July, so don't think what you've done last season counts for anything. And Klopp. Even if obviously he's a, he's a very different character to I think any manager we've had before, I do think he does share some of those same mental attributes and how he sees work, how he sees life, how he sees football. And when he gets them back in in mid July, whenever it is, it'll be cracking that whip saying, "If you thought you were a big scalp last year, boys, you're an even bigger one now." So get ready for it. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. One season's over, fixes out next Thursday, pre-season probably back in, what, three or four weeks? It's going to be no rest for the Liverpool players, put it this way. Uh, what do you want to see happen over this pre-season now? Like, uh, what we've got till August 4th, probably, isn't it, the Community Shield? Yeah. So it's probably six, seven weeks to go. Like, what happens now? <laughs> it's... Nobody knows, really, do I? You don't want to see many outgoings. The outgoings that you want to see, I think everyone knows who they are. You want... You just want everyone fit for that first day of the season. What I don't know what date it is. And just, the weekend, the eleventh and twelfth. Yeah, I think. Just, just let them enjoy pre-season more than ever before as European champions. I think we're in a lovely position this summer. Whereas, whereas previously it was like last summer we've got to get a goalkeeper. Previously we've got to get a centre back. I think even last summer there was kind of like yeah we desperately need the best in midfield. <clears throat> Obviously, you can always improve. And I, I'm always one of these that kind of thinks, I don't like this thing of really a window even without one fresh mm. face, even if it's just a loan signing. Because we've just been in a work meeting talking about changes and this, that and the other. And I use the same analogy in that I just a fresh voice, a fresh face around the place keeps everyone on their toes, keeps things lively. It's, it's evolution, isn't it? <clears throat> I, I think really what we're looking for is just a stronger squad you know I, I don't like his taken particularly the FA Cup for granted yeah, you know, any trophy you know, the League Cup was the first trophy I ever saw Liverpool lift against Bolton in 95 so yeah, I'd love us to be great if Man City couldn't do the quadruple last year we did it this year <laughs> but you know I just you know you, we should, Liverpool should always go out and try and win every match and I think I think we were lucky in the FA Cup last year I think the team that he put out, out at Wolves I think City had Rotherham at home in the third round. Yeah, and I think the team we named the Wolves would have yeah. beaten Rotherham at home. So we were a bit unlucky that we got a tough draw there. But I, I think it's, it's fine-tuning now, isn't it? You know, I mean, Rather than significant surgery on one specific part of the squad. Um, and we're in this lovely position now where you, know, you kind of think most of the, t- the people we would want 
well, why wouldn't they want to come to Liverpool? Do you know what I mean? With the Champions of Europe, uh, we play pretty attractive attacking football in front of one of the most passionate, iconic fan bases in the world. Um, there was talk of you know, Mbappe being linked the other day. I don't, I don't think there's anyone really that we could say, oh, well, we couldn't really get him now. Why, why couldn't we get him? The, the events of last weekend sells it, doesn't it? Like, Klopp doesn't need to persuade anyone to join Liverpool now. Like, just look at what happened. And it, it wasn't a fluke. Like, this has been two years where we have been unbelievable. And it's going to carry on. Totally agree. Just I'll play devil's advocate a bit because John Coleman was on the latest Atlanta Rouge. He'll probably be out before you hear this podcast. And he, he was kind of referencing Bob Paisley. Bob Paisley was a great believer in strengthening from a position of strength. Mm. And when you've just got a club record, 97 points, won the Champions League, and this squad, whatever happens in the rest of the Liverpool and football careers, will go down as legends, as European Cup winners. But if you kind of took that emotional attachment away and, and you would bang on, mate, just enjoy pre-season being European champions, but is there any one area of the squad where you think we could just do a little upgrade? I, I, I totally agree with you, Dan. It's, it's tinkering little bits in here. But if there was one, like, and I know we'll do this in podcasts yeah. to come across the summer, but if there was one area... Well, I mean, I'd give, I'll give you one and a half, two, maybe. <laughs> you know, arguably, we've not really, still not replaced Coutinho. Now, I absolutely, fundamentally, I'm not one that wants him back. I don't, I, I don't hate him, I don't, I wouldn't boo him if he, if he came back to Anfield again or anything, but I just think it'd be a backward step. But arguably, a little bit more creativity from midfield. You know, Jordan Henderson absolutely has had a new lease of life, played in this more advanced role since in the last couple of months of the season since Fabinho's gone back there. Obviously, we've got high hopes from Naby Keita and Oxlade-Chamberlain. Um, I mean, arguably, maybe slightly more important than that, possibly would be top quality backup for the front three because, by and large, over the last two years, we've been very we've been very fortunate with injuries. I mean, for me, for me, no missing that last month was possibly the longest spell any of them have had out since yeah. they've been playing together as a trio. We might not be so lucky next year. Now, obviously, storage is going. Divock Origi is a Liverpool legend and I don't want him going anywhere ever. Lifetime you know, contract. I, lifetime contract for him. <laughs> so I was, and and I'm not, that's not just because he scored a big goal for us. I've always liked the cut of his jib. From the early days, the early interviews I heard with him, he seemed like a good, honest, conscientious kid that understood what it meant to play for a club like Liverpool. I also think he's a better football than people give him credit for, even if he largely stank the place out on Sunday till he came on until obviously he swung his sweet left foot at that and ends up in the bottom corner. But... You know, realistically, I mean, obviously, there's Brewster in there as well. Yeah, who, James who, is who, who, big on him. Yeah, chance, well, well Klopp's been quite clear. And, you know, obviously, James reflects that that you know, he, Klopp very much wants to give him his head next season. Um, but like you, you very rightly said, Paul. You know, a lot of people often said the key to Liverpool's kind of dominance in that 70s, 80s period was that they didn't wait for players to get just past the best. They replaced, you know. They, 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 they strengthen when they're strong so it, it's intriguing to see what they'll do because yeah, there's no obvious area this year um, and that doesn't mean it's a free hit but it means that kind of like maybe the kid, they can afford to be maybe a bit thoughtful a bit creative in terms of how they, they do look at recruitment it, it is just a cover isn't it like we need cover for both fullbacks mm. yeah we, we need that um, as Dan said top like somebody who can come come on up top Something different to what we've got. Like, I know we've got the pace to, mm. and things, but yeah. Andy Carroll's on a free. There was someone like, you know, a different option. Yeah. Sometimes you are going to want to get crosses in. Yeah. And we haven't really got, you know, a, a big header of the ball. No. It, yeah, there's not much in these. Two. Just the little tweaks that we've all met, we've both mentioned there. And who knows what'll happen with Mini Lay? We've 
probably might need a, a new backup. A new backup yeah. keeper, yeah. But there's not much it needs fixing. Definitely. Just one final one uh, on kind of like the future. We, we wrap up. Not really needs much. Not much needs fixes on the playing front. But, you know, in the days following Madrid, you see stories about the Anfield Road expansion plans and it, this report suggested that they actually might delay it a little bit, submit new plans to actually get the capacity up to 60,000. I know it will cost money. I know there's the training ground projects on the go at the moment. But it just seems a no-brainer, doesn't it? Those yeah. scenes in Madrid and particularly in Liverpool, be sooner rather than later... The demand is just it's too great now, isn't it? I think a couple of years ago when the when the new main stand was opened, and you know, I, I personally think they did a fantastic job with that and I'll be forever eternally grateful for them for keeping us at Anfield on the same footprint, even you know, rather than Stanley Park. But the you know, obviously that's when people's that's where people's attention was diverted to next. And kind of like the noises coming out of the club were they're not sure if it's necessarily going to be worth their while. There was even talk at the time, well, maybe if they don't want to do that, it's because they're already looking at an exit strategy. I think the way that the last couple of years have gone in terms of you know, success, in terms of success on the pitch and off the pitch commercially and building, you know, the Liverpool that we now see in front of us, it's it, it does it does hopefully you would like to think it it, it should it should be an inevitability that that they do move forward and get that sorted because you know to be honest it, I always thought they made a bit of a mess of it in 1997 when they when they put that up a tier on the Annie Road anyway I think there's only 13 14 rows in there now I know they were a bit a bit hampered at the time because there was some kind of noise or light abatement legislation and they couldn't buy the houses behind so I think that was the most they could do at the time but well 20 over 20 years on. I think you know a few people, another a couple of the chats I've been having with people this week. If they can kind of maybe get the the main stand to come round, I, I wouldn't necessarily want it to be like a big bowl. You know, I, I don't, I don't, you know, that it's all just everything on the same height, the same level. But um, it, it's it, it, it's to me, it's inconceivable that 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 we won't be hearing some kind of movement on that sooner rather than later. They were on that bus, weren't they? Yeah. They're not soft. Let's <laughs> yeah. be honest. Yeah. They are not soft. It's something would have like the light would have even uh, even on. if you're a billionaire yeah. on an emotional human level, that mm. must blow you away, must yeah. it? Hundred percent. They must have been thinking, "Wow." And I don't, I don't know if this is true, but I was reading somewhere the other day that the plan permission for the extra six thousand is up in September or something, yeah. and they're thinking of waiting till after that because they want to go bigger than and that six thousand. Which go ahead, that'll do me. So it's all looking very rosy on and off the pitch. But before we leave you, I've uh, got a few quick-fire questions for the lads. We did this a year ago, I think. We said, like, the best moment of the year was Dua Lipa. <laughs> but uh, we will ask that question again. But I, I think it'd be fair to say Virgil van Dijk's player of the season, if, if you disagree, fine. Uh, but who would you say is your player of the season if it isn't uh, Virgil? I mean, there's a part of me that wants to give it to all of them. You know, I don't think I've ever loved a football team as much as I love this one. Um, and I'm a soppy bugger at the best of times. <laughs> um, I mean, I think a, a shout has got to go out f- to Joel Matip. You know, I was enormously critical of him talking away last year, that soft headers to Dali Ali. I've rattled, bored everyone to tears about it for the last 20-odd months. Definitely the play of the calendar year 2019, as far as I'm concerned for Liverpool. You know, he, he has been phenomenal at times, even outshone the imperious Van Dijk. Um I think Mo Salah deserves a big shout because having bounced back from the heartbreak and, and disappointment of, of last summer to go on and you know and finish top scorer with 27 goals and, and I think 13 assists or like 40 goal interventions or whatever you call it 
nowadays. He's got to be up there. Uh, Henderson, written off time and time again. You know, I, I, I took a, a great deal of satisfaction seeing him lift that European Cup because he's been subjected to some really pretty poor treatment from, from some Liverpool fans over time. If I had to give it to one person, maybe apart from Van Dijk, though, I think it maybe it'd be Sadio Mane. Um, and not just because I said at the start of the season he'd be top scorer, because he wasn't in the end. But it's his sheer hunger, his sheer desire. Even on that, in that match on Saturday when we were all struggling and that chance early in the second half when Milner cracked it wide with his left foot. That was all, he picked that up in his own half. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the game was in a real kind of flat moment and he injected this kind of pace and energy into it. And one of my, there was a bit of a kind of gag going around towards last month of the season, Sadio Mane wants to win this league more than you. <laughs> but I just think he's just a winner. His desire to succeed, I think is, is it's not like the rest of the squad's short of it, but I think is, 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 on a par with anyone's. And there was one, you know, I've, I've not watched everything back properly yet, but we could spend most of the summer doing it. But there's one moment when, after, after the final whistle and the celebrations, and Ian Rush um, was basically tasked with bringing the cup with its newly tied red ribbons around it down to the plinth to put it on there for the presentation. And Mane can't help himself but run over and almost kind of like jump into Rush with the cup because <laughs> it was there in front of him. This, this trophy that he wanted was minutes away from being his of right and that to me summed up everything about the lad made up with him so Manny for Dan um, stuck between two well Alisson doesn't count because <laughs> uh, yeah I love him it's I kind of want to go with two half seasons I want to go for Wijnaldum in the first half of the season mm-hmm. he was unbelievable but uh, other than Van Dijk, he was probably our best player in the first half of the season. And I'm going to say for the second half of the season, Trent. Because yeah, I, yeah, I remember, I think it was Belgrade away, he was really poor. And yeah, I, I, I remember thinking, I said it to a few lads, I was like, he just needs some time out of the team. He's, he, like he's, I don't think he was still 19 at the time. He's a 19-year-old kid. He's played so much football. I think he, he was injured for two or three weeks. And then he came back from that and he was just so consistent. So I, yeah, I'd say Trent. I think you might have answered this one, Dan, but I was going to ask who's the player who surprised you most this season. I think you might have gone there with Matip, would you say? I think, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it has to be Matip because, you know, I didn't think he was terrible, but I just thought he was weak physically, weak mentally, um, just not up to what we were after. And, you know, and, and I think it takes big kind of a big man psychologically to accept the fact that right, you, you've, you've basically been demoted to fourth choice. You're only basically getting in the team because other people are injured or suspended or whatever. But he's little by little, as the season's gone on, carved out a, a, a role for himself as of right. And you know, right now, we was having a, was an argument, but a discussion with, with someone only a couple of days ago saying, well, for me, he's got to start the season alongside Van Dijk. You know, why would you why would you bring Gomez in ahead of him? Joe Gomez has got a great future ahead of him, hopefully. But Joel Matip, as far as I'm concerned, is Liverpool's first choice centre-back now as of right. And I would never have imagined saying that much. transfer madness, isn't it? Yeah. Matip's the obvious choice, isn't he? But I'm going to go for someone completely out there and Simon Mignolet, just because of how professional he's been all season. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Unbelievable. He has, Total respect to the lad. Yeah. What played two games, Wolves and Chelsea, Chelsea in the, in the cup. cup. And he he's not stopped no. being behind Allison the team from the first kick of the season. So, yeah, I'd say him. And... There was a moment on Saturday when Alisson got the trophy and he made sure every single member of the goal team, yeah, goal team, yeah, yeah. team it was lovely that. 
were there and like that unity between all them was great. I actually hope Mignolet stays, to be honest with you. Yeah. I think he's a great professional. I think we do, to be honest, I think we do well to get a better second choice keeper. Oh, Someone that's going to come to and be prepared to play in, second, in second fiddle. You'd think he would get into most teams outside yeah. maybe the top five. I don't know. Would, is he better than Arsenal's keepers? I, I, I would probably would have said so, no. It's whether he kind of, you know, he, he must be, what, knocking on 30 now, probably got one big contract left. It's where you, but you know, listen, Godfrey Adelson could break an arm, yeah. break a leg yeah. next season, and all of a sudden he's playing. So, very good shout. Just two more quick one. Goal of the season doesn't have to be the aesthetically the best because there's been so many great th- late winners and things like that. I think it's got to be Trent against. Uh, sorry, Div against Barcelona. You know, the Even corner. more showed in the final goal. I think so. Yeah, I, and and I love the final goal. You know, people say, oh, I mean, I think Steve. I love Steve Nichol. Yeah, you know, I've read his book. He's one of the great players. He was going on. at this week about how you know, Liverpool should get rid of Rigi, he's just not up to up to Liverpool's standard or whatever. But people say, well, is he a lucky omen? He scores these lucky goals, and he's you know he's been in the right place at the right time a couple of times. But that you know is, is someone that you know plays as a striker badly. <laughs> when I kick a ball around, that's that is a great striker's finish. That quick shift from right foot onto his weaker left, and then unerring finish with his left foot across the goalkeeper. That that's technically textbook what you should be doing um, and you know the assist for, I, mean, I don't know if anyone it was on I think shown on Thursday night I'm sure it'll be repeated a few times on Sky Sports Football I think uh, Carragher's to basically like a one hour interview with Trent mm. filmed over kind of yeah. like yeah. a month or so from kind of like <coughs> mid-April to the final and I mean what he's you know he's He's already he is a Liverpool legend, but to see one of our own doing that, but have you? Know, I think one of these previous ones a couple of weeks ago, the scousest goal ever, yeah. the ingenuity, the craftiness, just to, to sw- just to be so switched on to realise they're not looking here, and yeah, I, I, I don't think that can be beaten. You should have that goal should have like you should all be wearing one tens or something for you. Goal of the season. I'm glad Dan went performing because I was I had time to think there, but there's a few that stick out obviously um, Salah's against Chelsea yeah. and Rodriguez in the final but it's Van Dijk's in Munich for me like just because of how, how important you, it was you pinpointed that match that yeah. moment yeah. for me was the moment where you just knew things were happening for Liverpool like, so yeah the second away goal tied done and then I think the first away goal deserves a little mention <laughs> oh, as well yeah. unbelievable, that unbelievable that, goal in the first goal of the tie which yeah. Van Dijk but, yeah. played a big part in it did we win every game from then, apart from the Barcelona away game? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, went on some run out of life from that. So I'd say Van Dijk's goal in, in Munich was goal of the season for me, just because of the importance of it. Good stuff. And a final one because following Liverpool, particularly this season and last season, has shown it's not all about the football. Take the footy away from it. What's your moments of the season? Not on the pitch. Mm. Not on the pitch. Yeah, not a, not even like a celebration. Is there anything? Away from the game or in the ground when it doesn't involve the footy. You had Dua Lipa last season. Um, well, it wasn't Imagine Dragons this year. I can just remember uh, behind me, some lad, he must have only been about 17. He went, Hurry up and get off your gang of goffs. What I enjoyed about that was that you could virtually you could tell that by both ends of the ground with literally saying, Get off, you shite. I was allowed one swear word for the season in the day, so you were allowed one. It's Um, the last one as well this season, isn't it? Moments. I had my I had mine for a second and then you maybe talk about something else. I've forgotten it'll come back in a second. 
Um, the, for me, it was in Madrid. Like the oh, no, got it. the celebrations. Um, <clears throat> in 2012, it was the first trophy we'd won since my dad died. So when we won that, I was emotional, but I didn't cry. But then in Madrid, you cry. Happy tears, you with your mates. But when you're crying, you're also thinking of people. Yeah. And it's also a really sad moment. So that, followed by coming out the ground and the people who I saw in Kiev when I was devastated, I saw them again in the same place outside the ground. just like it was meant to be. I hugged them and it felt so different. Like Craig Annan from the Anfield Rap was one of them. I remember walking out the ground and seeing them in Kiev and we were both, we had a moment. It was like, pff, this grimness in it. And then we shared the same moment, but happiness. So mm-hmm. it's that. That mo- everyone I saw outside the ground in Kiev after that game, somehow I don't know how I saw them all outside the ground in Madrid. So yeah, that. Well said, mate. Yeah, they, I mean, we have one and a half again. One slightly similar to that. One of one of my oldest, longest footy mates had a, t- had a nightmare experience with Kiev with his flight being cancelled, uh, literally the day before. Couldn't go. Kindly gave his tickets to one of my other mates who didn't have one. Uh, he had a really bad experience at the previous European Cup final as well. And it was like if there's one person it shouldn't be happening to, it was him. So, so to spend you know a lot of the, a lot of time over there with him and to see the joy and enjoy and, and satisfaction that he took from it, um, you know, I, I wanted it to win as much for him as it did for myself. The other one that I'd pick out, I, I think I used in our little kind of fan memories thing that we did for the um, the kind of shorthand presentation that we did that's now been updated to reflect the final. I really hope you say Hamburg Airport. <laughs> no, it's not Hamburg Airport where we were sitting together when that frigging text oh, came that, through. That, yeah, that was a great moment. I mean, anyway. it, it, but by anyway, it was amazing. But no, it, it was coming out the ground in um, in the new camp and obviously... We, we, we've we've lost three nil. We're it's all intent and purpose out of out of Europe, despite having played so well. You know, listening to them singing that their version of Ale 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 after that free kick's gone in, it felt like we were getting trolled and like you know someone was taking taking the mick. You know, it it was it was our season in a nutshell. We put so much into it, and yet it was all gonna we were gonna end up with nothing from it, and it just felt so desperately unfair. And then as we as we kind of you know, I think we only kept in twenty minutes half an hour, weren't we? But as we're kind of edging our way out, I just become aware of an argument between a dad and lad in the row adjacent to me. They, 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 they were, they, the lad would have been easily in his twenties, lad probably maybe fifty odd, and they were having a quite a heated argument, you know, about Messi's free kick and whether Allison should have, should have saved it. <laughs> and the lad had, had it on his phone, going, "Look at it, look at it! It's one of the best free kicks you'll ever." You'll, and it just descended and said, "No, you listen, dickhead. No, you listen, dickhead." And it didn't half lift me mood. Yeah. You know what I mean? I just remember thinking. We'll be all right, won't we? And yeah. obviously, you know, a month, well, it's barely a month later, the world feels and looks a different place. So, yeah, roll on August. On that note, I think it's, you know, it's the right time to finish. Dan, Paul, I really enjoyed listening to you. I'm sure everyone at home has, has done the same. Thanks for all your contributions this Thanks season. Thanks for having on, us, Paul. On this on view from the Thanks for all your hard work as well, mate. We will be doing it. We'll be doing throughout the summer as well, won't we? Oh, you can bet on it. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.